Welcome to the weekly podcast from Harvest Ridge Church in North Ridgeville, Ohio. Our heart's desire is that you would grow in your love and devotion to Jesus Christ and that these messages will strengthen your daily walk. For more information about our church, visit us on the web at www.harvestridge.net. Today we're going to walk through a passage. We're going to walk through... um, Uh, Luke chapter 1 and 2. Yeah, that's a lot of ground to cover. That's all right. We're going to cover a lot of ground today. So if you got a Bible, you might want to open it. And uh, we're going to start Luke chapter 1, going to go all the way through Luke 2. All right. Um, I I got one message for you today. One message and one message alone. And it'll take two chapters to establish it the right way. But the fact of the matter is this. Let Let me just circle back around and tell you that you should treasure the struggle. Treasure the struggle because God is able to do a miracle. Treasure the struggle, all right? So would you stand to your feet with me? Uh, Doug, we got somebody over here that needs one as well. Yeah, I got you. All right. I'm going to put up these verses, Luke chapter 2, verse 19. It says, but Mary did what? Mary did what? Come on. Treasured. Mary treasured all these things and pondered them in her heart. And then in Luke chapter 2, verse 51, but his mother did what? treasured all these things in her heart. So Mary was a treasurer. So you guys are going to have to help me out today, just so you know. We moved the lights around a little bit. I can't see you as clear, so you're going to have to help me. So to practice for me real quick. Practice. Say amen. Amen. All right. I hear you, Oli. Man, I like it. I like you. Giving some energy to the room. Thank you, bro. We're going to add some energy to this room today. And if uh, the fact of the matter is this, there are certain things we treasure, Right. Anybody have anything you treasure? Some guy was talking on Wednesday night about his favorite Christmas story. His favorite Christmas story. He said it was when he and his wife were just married and they rented a car and they drove the Florida Keys on Christmas morning. I was like, hallelujah, I could treasure that too, right? (laughs) I hadn't seen the sun here in two weeks. Yeah. Uh, So I I love that. I love the fact that there's things that we treasure. You probably have some treasures in your past. And treasures are things you take care of, but treasures are something that cost you. They cost you. So, Father, I pray that today, as we approach scriptures and we see the, the things to be treasured, that we would, we would understand that this odd Christmas, this first Christmas, was something that, that Mary treasured. She treasured it in her heart. But it cost her, and it cost, cost a lot. Let us, uh, let us learn today that We should treasure the struggle because you guarantee the victory in the struggle. In the name of Jesus, we pray it. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Don't sit down yet. Don't sit down yet. Don't, don't, don't. Somebody around you has not had anybody smile at them in days. So turn and give them a big smile. Even if you're wearing your mask, they can see your eyes. They know. Come on. Come on. Give them a big smile. Let them know that they're cared. Come on, turn. Give them a greeting. Then you can sit down. Hey, online here. Smile to you. God bless you today. All right. So um, this is unusual Christmas. Odd happenings happened this day, so or this Christmas season. Odd happenings. So I found some odd things that I just thought I would show you some pictures of some odd things that I found over the years. And, um, yep. <laughs> My kids always ate free. <laughs> I love that. How about, how about this one? Illiterate right for free help. What? 
Who thought this was a good idea? Seriously, seriously. All right, how about this next one? All right. Yeah, store's closing, but now hiring. You know, it's true, though. That store will close one of these days. I know some of them, they've been closing for 25 years, but you know what? Anyway, all right, how about this? This is my favorite, my, well, my second favorite. Caution. This sign has sharp edges. Do not touch the edges of this sign. And you see the very fine print? It says, also, there's a dangerous cliff ahead. What? Who thought this was a good idea? But this is not as bad as the next one, all right? Odd, odd, odd. Let's go to the next one. Touching wires causes instant death. $200 fine. I mean, we're going to dig you up and fine you. Anyway, there's some odd things in this world, right? Have you ever ran into anything that's a little odd? Odd things mean things are strange and different. So I I know some of you have heard these stories over and over again. It's story number 93 and 94. I have them numbered. But I don't mind telling you the same things over again. As a matter of fact, in Philippians chapter 3, verse 1, it says that it's a soap. Yeah, it says uh, to speak the same things to you again is a safeguard for you. So these are just soap stories. All right, they're safeguard. And do y'all know what safeguard is? Hygiene. I need to teach hygiene at Harvest Ridge. Nobody knows. Anyway. All right. So anyway, um, in 1986, I was a Bible college student. I was sitting in Opal Redden's Acts class, and Opal Redden said uh, that Paul's way of evangelizing the world was he would go to a town, preach there, establish a church. And everywhere he went, he established a church. And, and God spoke to me clear as a bell and said, you're going to pioneer a church. So 1988, when we graduated from Bible college, we had planned to go to Heron, Illinois to pioneer a church in Heron, Illinois. I guess it's good I didn't go there. I can't even say the name. Anyway, um, the week before I was to move, my stuff was packed. I was going to move. I basically got shut down by the uh, Illinois District Council telling me they didn't want me there to plant a church there. So we had planned to go plant a church, and now we're told you're not allowed to. So we did something really cool. We got married anyway. About three weeks later, we got married anyway. Yes. So we got married. Listen, if my kids were to do what I did, I would yell at them. We got married. I had no job. She had no job. We had no place to live. So we moved in. God, I I love my mother-in-law. She's in the service. She's an incredible woman, godly woman. But I tell you, it is not a good idea to come back from your honeymoon and move in with your mother-in-law. Not a good idea. No privacy. It was rough. But we moved in with my mother-in-law. We had no place to live. I had no job. Nobody wanted me. Believe it or not, I've always been an opinionated, loud-mouthed, little bit of strong-willed person. Wow, you guys, come on. And I guess nobody wanted to hire anybody like that that was 21 years old, fresh out of college, and thought they knew everything and changed the world. So I didn't have a job, didn't have any place to go, didn't have anything to do, and didn't have a, a, so we were cooking chicken in my wife's home church. They'd asked us to serve, so we said, got nothing better to do, let's serve. So my wife did the sin of all sins, if you know me well. She locked the keys in the truck. So I had to leave, borrow somebody's car, drive back to my mom-in-law's house to get a spare set of keys. I walked through the door and the phone rang. And that was back in the day when phones rang, they meant something. 
Y'all don't, y'all don't remember that, right? But when it was on the wall and there was a cord attached, and if somebody called, they actually wanted to get you, not sell you something. So the phone rang, so I go over to the phone and I answer it, even though it's not my house. And it was, uh, it was hey, um, the pastor said there's a group of kids stranded in Southern Ohio. These kids are stranded. Would you and your wife like to go down and, uh, and rescue these kids? Well, we were in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, tripped Ohio, spend the night in a hotel out of my mom-in-law's house. I'm like, oh yeah, baby, let's do this. So we get, go back to the church, unlock my keys, get in the van, take off, drive three and a half hours. By now it's after midnight. We arrive, we're pulling into town and my wife says, wouldn't it be weird if God set this up to get us a job? And I said, dear, it's one o'clock in the morning. There is nobody around. Ain't no way we're going to get a job in Ohio. The pastor's asleep. Nobody's around. This, let's just get the kids and go. So we got the kids out of the church and we're in the van ready to leave the church. And as we're pulling out, somebody yells, where's Tommy? Tommy was rule breaker. See, you weren't allowed, the pastor said, the one place you're not allowed to go is in the sanctuary. So Tommy went in the sanctuary, and he went to sleep on the back row of the sanctuary. And when we were checking out, nobody checked for him, but he was asleep in the back of the sanctuary. So we had to get him up, but we couldn't get him up. We beat on the windows, shine light in the windows. And trust me, I was not always the nicest person, and I could not figure out a way to break into that place without doing damage. It was, I, uh, yeah, two places in my life I hadn't been able to break into it. Anyway, sorry, too much information. Anyway, I, I couldn't figure out how to break in. We couldn't break in, so guess what? Um, we had to call the pastor, 2 o'clock in the morning. The pastor comes over there. Pastor arrives, 2 a.m. in the morning. I saw his hair disheveled twice in three years, I think. And Anyway, he comes out. His hair's messed up. He's wearing his robe, just pulled out of bed for the second time in one night. And, and the youth pastor of the church, after we got Tommy out, said, Yo, you looking for a youth pastor? God sent you one. And that's how we wound up in Ohio. Two o'clock in the morning job interview because of a broken down van. By the way, there was no hotels anywhere to be found. Just so you know, it did not turn out so well. We spent the entire night sleeping in that broken down van at the place that it was broken down because there were no hotels. And it was about 40 degrees that night. We froze to death, cramped up in a van sleeping. Romantic, I'm telling you, at its finest. So anyway... We spent three years there as youth pastors. It was a blast, but God has still called us Pioneer Church. So we think we see North Ridgeville. They want to plant a church in North Ridgeville. We start our prayers. God, plant a church in North Ridgeville. We go through the application process. We go all the way through. We get approved after months of fighting and 50 pages of application and blah, 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 and this, that, and the other. And, and, and I, I can tell you stories about the van I drove to get to the application that had a leak in the gas tank, and it took me $40 worth of gas to get there. Come on, this is the 80s, people. Took $40 because it was shooting gas out of a hose. Uh, we, we could go, lucky it didn't blow up. I didn't know. Come on, I could go on and on. Are you hearing that this process wasn't easy? That's what I want to bring out. The process wasn't easy. So they, we applied to be church planners. They said, yes, you can be church planners in North Ridgeville. And then we're like calling them back and nobody will answer our calls. Come to find out they sent somebody else to North Ridgeville to plant this church. But when they moved to town here, the guy ran off with a stripper from over on Brook Park Road. Are y'all following me? This is a zigzaggy road. 
And, and we're at a point, we just hear this, that, you know, they send somebody else and it's not going to happen. And we took a trip home. It was November of 1991. We drove from Wilmington, Ohio. We drove to Fort Smith, Arkansas, and Arkham, Oklahoma to stay with my family. And while we were on our way, we're like at the end. God, I thought you called us. God, I thought you told us. I thought you worked these miracles. And nothing is working. And there, there's a, a table at a pizza hut in Effingham, Illinois, that probably still has tear stains on that guitar. I'm sorry, wrong reference there. Still has tear stains on that table as we sit there and we cried. And we're like, God, I thought you called us. And we were broken and we were empty and we were at the end of ourselves. Six weeks later, we get a call inviting us to come to North Ridgeville to plant a church. And you're in a church today because I treasure the struggle that got us here. Because when we wanted to quit a lot, we didn't quit because we treasured the struggle that got us here. That's what this passage is all about. Mary treasured the struggle. You know, a lot of us, we want to escape trouble. We just want to run away from trouble. We don't want to have the struggle. We don't want to have pain. We don't want to have those issues because we think those issues means God's abandoned us. But I want to tell you that God is in the middle of the issues. Most of us want a stress-free, easy life where everything goes peachy keen all the time. But those are the times you don't seek God. This past year, I believe, has been a wake-up call. COVID, the pandemic that caused other pandemics. It's a pandemic, but it caused a bunch of other pandemics. And COVID is real, and COVID has messed with us all. Come on, can we admit that? I went into a, a, a business the other day. I was going into a store. I stopped to get some gas, and, and I wanted to pop, and I go to run in the store. And come on, you've done this. You've done this. I'm going in the store, and I go... What was I looking for? Come on. My mask. How many of you have played the mask dance, right? Come on, you know, you're ready to go and you're like, oh crap, I forgot it, right? Yeah, COVID, whether you like it or not, has changed us all. You can say it hasn't, but it has. We are marked by it. And we will be marked by it. Things have changed. We don't even know to what degree. But it's real, the pandemic that causes other pandemics. How about racial tensions this year? Come on. I haven't seen racial tensions like this in my life. Racial tensions everywhere. Now you can't say Black Lives Matter without it being a political statement, too. You can't say Blue Lives Matter without it being a political statement. I just want to declare Yellow Lives Matter. Somebody needs to remember our Asian community and friends. I don't, come on, since when does love become a political statement? Why can't the church of Jesus Christ simply do what we're called to do, which is all people of all nations and every tribe and language and tongue are gathered before the throne of God and there together we worship and exalt him as Lord. I want a church that looks like heaven, not like United States. 
We got enough division down here. Could we, could we, the church of Jesus Christ, love people? Because God loves them. I love them. You love them. That means we put them first, not our needs. Whew. COVID's messed us all up. Racial tensions. A contentious election cycle. You don't believe it? Just say Trump. This side goes crazy for one reason, and this side goes crazy for another. It seems nobody can be middle ground. I live in a weird place in the world. I love people who hate Trump, and I love people who love Trump. I am weird. I see how they're right and they're wrong, and I see how they're right and they're wrong. That makes me really weird. But could we quit judging people by their political affiliation? Somebody, somewhere, somehow. Could we love people instead of politics? I love you guys. Can we just drop this crap? And yes, he said crap twice in the same sermon. Wait until I say, wait until I say sex. (laughs) Financial uncertainty. Come on, if you're out, me and my wife, we were trying to go to dinner last night. We're trying to go to dinner. Some of our cards that we got as gift cards don't work anymore. Do you know why they don't work? Because those places don't exist anymore. I said COVID's a pandemic that's causing other pandemics. Wait until the financial crisis all shakes out. It's going to be a mess. And you and I both know it. We all know it. Walk through the mall. You will see the toll it's taken. The financial uncertainty is real. How about relational conflict? Come on, I'm a pastor. I was on the phone yesterday with multiple people. Every single one, I'm in relational conflict. You know why? Because they're stuck in the same house with the same people all the time. And I didn't get a lot of amens there because you're sitting next to them. Come on, there is relational conflict and tension like I haven't seen in years. And we got, I got more phone calls from guys asking for help overcoming porn in the last week than I got for years. Do you know why? Because people are hiding. Alcohol abuse is up. Drug abuse is up. Uh, violence in the households are up. Am I, am I, are we alive today? Can we admit this, that there are people running to things that will not satisfy to try to sate the pain that's going on in their heart right now? And what we need, what we need is we need some places like Effingham, Illinois, Pizza Hut. We need some tears before God where we pour out our hearts and we're broken before him so that we can find the restoration in the hope in the time of crisis because you should treasure the struggle, not run from it. So here we go, Luke chapter one, verse one. Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have happened and been fulfilled among us just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. Theophilus means the one loved by God. So that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. Listen, I won't take time to go into this a lot, but let me just say that one of the reasons that I am a Christian, probably one of the main reasons, is this book of Luke, volume one, and Acts, volume two. 
When I found out that the book of Luke, volume one, volume two, was carefully investigated, eyewitnesses sought out things written down. Listen, I, I won't take a lot of time, but Paul makes an appeal to Caesar. You can read about it later in the Bible. He makes an appeal to Caesar. And the appeal is that Christianity would be given the right to worship freely in the Roman Empire. And Paul is going to appear before the Supreme Court of Rome, Caesar himself. And to do so, he needs a written court brief to explain how Christianity happened. And the book of Luke and Acts is a two-volume uh, attached set to take before Caesar to say to Caesar, this is how it started. So it had to be accurate or else it would get thrown out of Caesar's court. And Luke, by the way, is the most accurate historian in the Bible, period. And if you want to question it, just understand that everybody that's ever questioned Luke's accuracy on matters of history and fact have been proven wrong eventually. Because Luke set out to write the Christian story accurately. Now, whether you believe that Christian story or not, that's different. But don't tell me it's a makeup lie because all the facts about Quirinius being the governor of Syria and when Herod reigned and where this is and where that is and where all these things are, they're all always accurate. So you can debate the meaning of the story, but please do not debate with me the story because the story is an accurate story. And if you start telling me that it's not real history, then you're going to look like an idiot and I don't want you to look like an idiot. So many have taken, undertaken to draw us up, but Luke said, I got to do this the right way. So he did it. So he investigated. He wrote, he interviewed people. He wrote about things that were there the way they happened. So he tells us three stories. It's, a, it's a three stages in a special play that he's writing in chapters one and two. First is Miracle Babies. Miracle Babies. So the first one is Elizabeth and Zechariah were too old to have a child. So Luke chapter one, verse five. In the time of Herod, King of Judea, this isn't Herod the Great that tried to kill Jesus. This, uh, yeah, it is, sorry. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah, his wife Elizabeth. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, but they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive. And they were both very old. In other words, she had been through menostop. Menopause, menostop, same thing. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him. What? An angel shows up. So an angel shows up. When Zachariah saw him, he was startled and gripped with, what? Come on, what's that word? Somebody say it with me. What is that word? Fear. fear. Notice, you're going to notice in the story, every time an angel shows up, they're gripped with fear. Why? 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 I thought they were cute little babies on the bumper stickers that did like that. <laughs> Maybe they aren't. Maybe they're really angels. So, anyway. The angel said to him, don't be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son. You'll call him John, because his name is John the Baptist. And John the Baptist, remember him? You know, the guy in camel's hair, eating locusts and wild honey and running around screaming at everybody and telling them how they were going to die? Yeah, all right. He will be a joy and a delight to you. <laughs> Obvious that parents see their kids different than everyone else, right? Come on, mom, my little angel would never do that. Oh, yeah, everybody else saw him do it. Anyway, sorry. <laughs> By the way, when, when I got a call from the school, you won't believe what your kid did. I'd be like, oh, yes, I would. 
I always believed the witnesses, not my kids. <laughs> anyway, um, many will rejoice because of his birth. It would be great in the sight of the Lord. He sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink. Notice this line, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. Keep that in your mind. We're going to come back to that. He's going to be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. And he will bring many back to the people of Israel, to the Lord their God. So uh, the story is basically this. Elizabeth and Zechariah were too old to have babies. Angel shows up and says, you're going to have a baby. He's going to be John. He's going to go before Jesus. He's going to be the witness that declares that Jesus is coming. And Jesus is going to be the Savior of the world. And he is Elijah, the forerunner. And they're all excited. So then there's a miraculous conception. The other one's a miraculous birth, you know. Miraculous birth is different than the miraculous conception. This is uh, Mary. She was a virgin, which means she never had sex with a man. I know what Alma means. I, I know Alma means young, but, but let's be very clear. In this passage, Mary is going to be told she's going to have a baby, and she says, I can't. I'm a virgin. I've never had sex. And some of you are saying, he's saying that word sex a lot. So sex, 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 sex. Get over it. Right? Sex makes babies, right? So it's part of the story, right? right? In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pres pregnancy, God sent the angel to Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. That's key. The virgin's name was Mary, and the angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Then Mary was greatly troubled at his words. <laughs> angel, once again, she's troubled. And wondered what this kind of greeting might be. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You have, been found, you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called Son of the Most High. And the Lord will give him the throne of his father David. He will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin. I've never had sex. I am young, but I understand this concept. It can't happen. And then the angel said, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you and the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. The Son of God. That means he is fully God, fully man. He was God put in the womb of a human. So he has the nature of God, but he has the nature of man. Both. So he understands. And so the Holy One born to you will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in their old age. She was said to be unable to conceive as in her sixth month, for no word from God will ever fail, even though it looks like it is. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled, and then the angel left her. Now this is different than a miraculous birth from a man and woman having sex and producing after menopause, after all of that. This is a miraculous conception. That means this baby that was planted in her was not from a human father. God was the father of Jesus. This is necessary as we find out when we get to Galatians later on in 2021. We're going to walk through the book of Galatians. The only way God could find to get rid of the covenant of the law, the covenant of the law was everybody's got to obey it or you're going to die. You can't live in God's blessing because you aren't obeying the rules. And come on, we've all broken the rules. Don't get me started on that. It would take me a couple of seconds, but you're all lawbreakers. You're all sinners, lawbreakers, and on your way to hell, and you deserve it. But God said, you know what? I don't want to send them all. 
to hell. I love them. I tell you what I'm going to do. I've got to get rid of this covenant. And the only way he could do it was for him fully God to become a human and to die and to end that law. When God died, the law ceased to be in effect. Now, we still learn from the morals of it, but it does not rule over us. The Bible says very clearly that the law is put to an end through Christ's death. Those laws don't govern us. Now we have a new law in case you're wondering, what's that law? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength and love one another. Yeah, back to that one again. And when you love somebody, you treat them right even if it costs you. All right, so... That's why Jesus had to be born of a virgin. So anyway, here's what happened. Dancing baby time. I love dancing babies, don't you? I wanted to show you a video of dancing babies, but we couldn't find the right one. So instead, I'll just tell you. Just imagine my little daughter. She was in a Johnny Jump Up bouncing around, and she would just bounce for hours on that Johnny Jump Up. And you know what? Every time I walked in, I saw her dance, and she was happy, and I was too. All right? Dancing babies, Luke 139. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to the town in the hill country of Judea where she, when she entered Zachariah's home and greeted Elizabeth and Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby started dancing in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And, and that means that John the Baptist was filled with the Holy Spirit in that moment as was prophesied earlier and his mother got the leftovers and she got filled with the Holy Spirit and she began to speak in a loud voice, blessed are you among women and blesses the child child you were bare. And, and here is, let, let's just talk for one second. John the Baptist, six months along in his mother's womb, filled with the Holy Spirit, dancing in reaction to his relationship with Jesus. But in America today, that baby could be killed and pulled out of his mother's womb. And I, I, I don't understand people who want to make this political. I just don't understand you. I understand your rights and all that kind of stuff, but your rights stop when another person's rights begin. And that baby, living in his mother's womb, if they could be filled with the Holy Spirit from God, then that means they're a real person. I don't want to debate with you. I don't care about that. I would ask you a question. If you want to debate about that, why is it? that you want these rights to be more important than caring for somebody. Why are your rights so doggone important? And if they're that important, maybe you're not right in your rights. Special birth. So there are prophecies in the Old Testament that said Messiah had to be born at this special place. He had to go to Bethlehem, Micah 5.2. But you, Bethlehem, Epaphra, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. So Bethlehem was where Jesus had to be born. There's a problem, though. And the problem is this. Jesus wasn't living in Bethlehem. We got a map here. We got a map. They were living, uh, the, uh, sorry, Mary and and. Joseph were living in Nazareth up there on the top, and they had to get to Bethlehem down there. By the way, it's about 90 miles, 90 miles. So I, I want you to imagine, I'm not sure if you saw Autumn up here playing the guitar today. She's pregnant. She's, she's pregnant. She's got a little baby in her. Not nine months yet, but she's she got a little baby. Can you imagine me saying to, to Autumn, hey, you and your husband, you got to walk to Ac no, uh, New Philadelphia. You got to walk to New Philadelphia. In the middle of winter, go, take off, take off. How many of you know that would, I would die if I said that to her. <laughs> Could you imagine a pregnant woman 
about nine, eight and a half, nine months pregnant, having to go 90 miles with no road, no car, no nothing. You, uh, roads are rough and you got to go 90 miles. God had to move them from there to there. He had to move them so the prophecy would be fulfilled. She wasn't happy about it. I will guarantee you Joseph wasn't happy about it. But you know who else wasn't happy about it? The entire Roman world. You know why? Luke chapter two, verse one. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. When you do those censuses, you have to pay an extra tax. So the entire Roman world got thrown on its ear so a little girl would be forced to walk 90 miles from Nazareth to Bethlehem. And you think 2020 has been horrible. Maybe God's just been shaking up the whole world so that maybe he could bring a promise out of this year. Maybe you're looking at it the wrong way. He just had to move somebody and they wouldn't have moved if he hadn't goofed everybody up. Maybe you'd still be sitting on your can. Dreaming about tomorrow instead of doing what God called you to do. I don't know. All right, so anyway, if you ever want a pregnant woman to walk 90 miles, that is not a smart idea, just so you know. So Joseph went up to the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to the home uh, to the town of David because he belonged to the house and line of David and went there, went there to register with Mary who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, time came for the baby to be born and she gave birth to her firstborn a son and she wrapped him tightly in claws and placed him in a manger. And then something happened. We got some visitors. Y'all know this story, right? Visitors? It said Luke chapter 2 verse 8. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby. You ever wonder why God sent the message to shepherds instead of, why didn't he do it at, a, at the castles and houses? Why didn't he do that? There were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. There we go again. And they said to them, don't be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Messiah, the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find the baby wrapped in claws and lying in a manger. Why did he talk to shepherds? Because the shepherds were out in the field taking care of their flocks. God appeared to shepherds because shepherds were the lowest people in those days. Could you imagine living out in the fields all the time? How would you stink? How would you, how would you feel? You didn't have a house. You didn't have a bed. You just went from place to place with a bedroll, sleeping wherever you could find, keeping track of a bunch of knot-headed sheep that are stupid, trying to kill themselves all the time, and you got to stop them. And everything else is going to kill them, and you got to stop them. Because God is looking for people with a pastoral heart, with a heart of love and care over those who are knot-headed. And he knew, he knew this, that the best person to mention the coming of Jesus would would be to people who were already showing their unselfish care for those who could not care for themselves. And by the way, they were the nobody, so nobody would care. You don't believe it? Remember this story, David? This is the house of David. This is where it happened. There are hints back to the original story. David was living there in Bethlehem, and his dad gets a message that Samuel's going to come to the house and anoint a king. So they bring all the boys in Jesse's house or invited in for a banquet, and Samuel goes to anoint this one. No, 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 no. Gets down to the end. Don't you have any more kids left? Well, yeah, there's the shepherd. He's out in the field. Do you ever wonder what kind of abuse must have been in David's heart? How he must have felt to be rejected that his own brother was going to get to be anointed king and he didn't give it to see it? 
What kind of rejection did he deal with as a person growing up that he was stuck out in the field with a lousy sheep while the king's celebration was happening in his house? What kind of dad views their son like that? What's the problem going? There are problems. You see, these shepherds are rejected because they're ostracized and they were viewed as no better than bandits. They're in the middle of nowhere. And, and there are hints here that when God wants to announce that there's a new king, he didn't go to the palace to announce it, but he went where David was to announce it. And he showed them that there is a shepherd that's being raised up here that's going to have the heart. Of, come on, y'all aren't even getting this. Because little things like that matter. So, suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest. So there are all these angels singing, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace to, on those whom his favor rests. And then the angels had left them and gone into heaven. The shepherds looked at one another and said, yo, Bobby, do you think we maybe ought to go see if this is real? Come on, if the angels show up and start singing about a baby being born, why would you even ask that question? The next time angels show up to you and say, glory to God on 145th, there is a child that's born that's going to change the world. You should not look and say, hey, I wonder if we ought to go to 145th. Just go. Right? I read the Bible weird. I'm sorry. I've been reading this for years and years, and I think about this. Shepherd's sitting there debating. Yeah, Ed, I don't know if we ought to do this, not these sheep, you know. Well, Bobby, there's an angel that told us about it, but Ed. Anyway. All right, strange prophecies. Let's end. This is my favorite part of the whole Christmas story, okay? And I got five minutes to share it. Can you all hold on tight? Buckle your seatbelt with me. Let's go. Click, click. Here we go. Strange prophecies. Now, Mary and Joseph, they were in Bethlehem. And on the eighth day, they circumcised the child. When it was time to circumcise the child, he was named Jesus. And the name the angel had given him before he was conceived. And when the time came for the purification rites, they were only a couple of miles. So they just walked right up to the temple there in Jerusalem. And the purification rites were required by the law of Moses. Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem, presented him to the Lord. And they're doing their ritual purifications. He's just a baby, maybe 30 days old at the oldest. And uh, look what happens. There was a guy that was waiting. Yeah, you're horrible at it too. There was a guy that was waiting. Now there was a man in Jerusalem named Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Spirit was on him, the Holy Spirit was on him. And it had been revealed to him by the Lord's Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. So moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. And when the parents brought the child to do for Jesus what the custom of the law required, Simeon just ran over, grabbed the baby out of their arms. Stalker, stalker. No, anyway. Can you imagine this? Come on, you're at church and somebody just runs up, grabs your baby and runs away with it. This is sort of weird, isn't it? This guy was waiting. He'd been waiting his entire life. God had revealed to him he would see Messiah, and he was excited. And he goes over and grabs a baby, and he pulls him in his arms, snatches him away. Mary's going, what is going on? And, and what he said, Simeon took him in his arm, praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you promised, check, please. Anybody ever eat dinner at a restaurant? And you ready to go? Ready to pay and get out of there? What do you say? Check, please. Yeah, look what he said. He said, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. Okay, God, check, I'm out. 
You promised me I would see Messiah. This is it. Check. Come on, let's go. He was waiting for something valuable. And when he saw it, his heart leapt with joy and the Holy Spirit spoke up within him. And he said, all right, I'm ready to die now. I've done it all. Whew. For my eyes have seen your salvation. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against. And a sword is going to pierce your own heart too. He said, Mary, you're going to watch him die. And can you imagine when Mary is there at the cross and she looks up and she sees Jesus in her ears, echo the words of Simeon and a sword will pierce your own soul too. And she was glad she treasured the pain. Maybe God wants you to embrace the pain and he wants you to treasure it. So that one day when you see the fulfillment and it doesn't look or feel like you thought, you will know that God is still active in it all. Sorry, I'm a little amped up this morning. You all right with that? It's Christmas. I'm supposed to be calm. I've had a rough 2020. And I'm treasuring it in my heart. Because doggone it, I'm a victor. I am not a victim. And we are winners and we are not whiners. <laughs> Simon blessed them and, and, and he, after he was done, Anna came along. Now, Anna was an old woman. Anna's an old woman. Those of you who think you're too old, God can't use you anymore. Man, are you wrong. Because God's not done with you until you finish breathing. So Anna was an old woman. She was also a prophet. Anna was her name. She was very old. She was a widow until she was 84. There's debate about this, how old she was, but we know at least she was 84 years old. At least 84. She was very old. <laughs> That's a nice thing to say about him. Yeah. Hi, you're very old. <laughs> well, Sonny, I'd slap you, but I can't lift my hand that high. I'm sorry. <laughs> sorry. ADHD. Uh, yeah, anyway. <laughs> she never left the temple, but worshiped night and day, fasting and praying. What was she doing? She's devoted to God in the middle of it all. And she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Israel. What's going on here is that even in the middle of the crisis, God sent prophets to say, this child is going to redeem, but it's going to cost. It's going to cost. You know, we have hope. The hope we have is a hope in Jesus Christ that no matter what pain we go through, we're a victor on the other side. That's the hope we have. Now, our hope is not a fantasy. There, there's a difference between fantasy and hope. And Viktor Frankl found this out. He was a doctor and psychologist who survived the Holocaust. He was taken into uh, the prison camps from uh, Austria. And he spent years being a doctor in uh, camps like um, uh, Dachau, which I've been to in Auschwitz, I'm telling you, if you ever go to one of those camps, it is eerie. The, the, the whole place is eerie. And being there in Dachau, I'll never forget seeing the places where hundreds of thousands of people died. And, um, and, and it was in one of those camps that um, Viktor Frankl was there. There was news that the war was going to end soon. The year was 1944, 1945 was just coming around the bend. It was the week between Christmas and New Year's. Uh, the, the German army was failing and flagging and um, there were rumors that there would be freedom. 
there was freedom within the next few months, but those rumors were about, and, and all the people in the prison camps had this hope up that they would be rescued by Christmas. And um, this hope that they would be rescued by Christmas, it was a date they put on the calendar, and, and what wound up happening was there was an unusual amount of deaths, more than ever recorded, of natural deaths between the week of Christmas and New Year's, 1944 and 1945. And Frankel, uh, Victor Frankel said, he recorded in his memoirs that what had happened was the people had set an arbitrary date for their hope to happen by. And when that date was not reached with their hope being fulfilled, their hope went away, their joy went away, and they died literally because of a loss of a hope in their life. So he developed a whole way of thinking about it. He's quite famous for it, but this, he's not the only guy that talks like this. There was a guy named James Stockdale who uh, talks about the Stockdale paradox. He was in the Hanoi Hilton for seven and a half years. I read in more in depth this week the amount of beating and torture and persecution he went through in those years. And he said he watched people die every year while he survived. And he said the difference between those who survived and those who died was those who had hope in something greater than themselves survived. But those who had hope in a fantasy that it would all get better by such and such time, every one of them died. He said there is a difference between having hope and having a reason to live for than having a fantasy and being disappointed. Even Nietzsche, the, the famous... Um, famous uh, a psychiatrist said, he who has a why to live for can bear with almost any how. And Dr. Henry Cloud this past week said, hope is based on something that is going to change or be different. Otherwise, it is just a wish. And what I want to bring to you today as we talk about how Mary treasured all these things is she had a hope that was not a hope in some fanciful thing out there. She had a hope in the reality that Jesus Christ was going to die and give his life and bring hope for the world. And we have a hope too. The Bible says that faith, Hebrews chapter one, is the substance of what we hope for. And it says a little later in Hebrews that there is a heavenly dwelling where God lives and our hope is rooted there as an anchor for our souls. But if you know anything about anchors, anchors always have a rope or a chain attached to them. And that chain is faith. And that faith that comes down and we grab a hold of it when we don't understand, it's attached to a hope that God is the victor, always has been the victor, always will be the victor, and all of time and turning, whether it's 2021 or 2020 million, God is still Lord. I have a hope with Him, and I've got faith that I hold on to that hope with. And if you're going through a tough time, you need to treasure the pain you've had in the past so that you can look and hope to the hope that is rooted with God so that you can cling to your faith. When things get rough, you treasure past problems and past victories so that you can cling to the hope and you can survive now because you saw God do it then. <laughs> I wish you'd get this in your heart is that God doesn't have to come along and make everything all right because he already is all right. 
And our hope is not that everything's going to be all right. Our hope is that he is all right. And one of these days, I'm going to stand before his throne and the King of kings and the Lord of lords. I will bow before him in worship and adoration. And it's all going to be all right because he is Lord. And he was Lord before beginning. He'll be Lord after it's over. God is the source of our hope and we treasure. And when you hold this in your hand, this is a tangible statement of those who have walked through it. Jesus said, whenever you eat this bread, you do proclaim my death, listen to this, until I come. This is a proclamation of our victory. And I don't care what kind of 2020 you had, if you're expecting 2021 to be better just because it's 2021 or because we get an immunization, you are wrong. If it's gonna be better, it's gonna be because by faith, we take a hold of the life of Christ and we do something about it. Lord Jesus, thank you that your body was broken on the cross so we can have hope today. And by faith, we can grab a hold of the life that is truly the life. Let us receive it, I pray, in the name of Jesus. Amen, let's take. Jesus said of this cup, he said, this cup is the new covenant. The new covenant in my blood. New covenant, it's not an old covenant, it's not the law. He did away with the law. He gave us a new covenant. And this new covenant, according to the scriptures, is based on better promises. And this new covenant says that you are a winner because of the blood of Jesus. This new covenant says that every promise from God is yes and amen in Christ Jesus. Come on, this new covenant says that we have all of the promises given to Abraham. They're right here. This is a new covenant. And Jesus, we thank you that you gave us a new covenant, that you are God made flesh. And we pray that today, as we celebrate this cup, that we would celebrate the victory you have given to us. If there are those right now that they're here and they have not accepted Jesus as your Savior and their Lord, I pray that as they partake of this cup and they, they think of your blood, that today the new life of Jesus Christ would begin to course through their veins and they would become a new creation in Jesus. Amen. Let's partake. We talked about how to end this and there's only one way to end it. There's only one. How about we celebrate a little bit? Can we do that? Can we sing this? Would you stand with me and let's celebrate it together?